Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who or what is Zozo? What exactly does a Ouija board do? Is it wise to try and use one? Hello and welcome to the 626th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Here on ON 1240, I'm Ben and those divining questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this afternoon we bring you a distinguished guest on a topic we've never really specifically covered in all of our years on the air. And as always, we welcome your calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada and 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for emails. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a researcher and author on topics related to spirituality, the occult, and paranormal. She has written more than 49 books, including 10 encyclopedias. I hate you, Rosemary. Her works include Atlas of the Mysterious in North America, the, Enc- the Encyclopedia of Witches and Witchcraft, written while she was on the faculty at Hogwarts. Uh, that's just a joke. Uh, Harper's Encyclopedia of Mystical and Paranormal Experience, and the Encyclopedia of Angels, which I, I have used for years myself for reference. In the media and on the lecture circuit, Rosemary is, uh, well, everywhere. She has been on our show many times. She has co-hosted the show with me and is, re- is writing the foreword for my forthcoming book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, What Ghosts Have to Say About God, if I ever finish it. Conversely, I am writing the foreword for Rosemary's forthcoming book, co-authored with John Zaffis, Demon Haunted True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. Rosemary's website, visionaryliving.com. So, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, Paul. You know, you're going to hate me even more because I'm actually up to 60 books now. Okay. Well, would you repeat that because we had an audio problem? I said, uh, you're going to hate me even more because I'm up to 60 books. I'm well past 49. Oh, my ears and whiskers. Well, we don't hate you. We love you very much. But anyway, 60 books, folks. Think of it. (laughs) Okay. So now let us start with the questioning. So who or what is Zozo? Uh, Zozo is a mysterious entity that uh, prefers the Ouija board for pestering people. This is an entity that um, likes to uh, play mean tricks on people. Um, When it has the opportunity, it will even attach to people. And its primary means of access uh, seems to be the Ouija board, although this entity has manifested in other kinds of spirit communication. I've encountered Zozo with ghost boxes, for example, and um, the phenomenon started getting a lot of attention um, some years ago uh, after a man named Darren Evans had his own horrific experiences with Zozo and started posting about it on the Internet, discovering to his amazement that many other people had independently also had negative encounters with this uh, entity. And in typical fashion, it seems to manifest first as a nice guy, uh, will even make accurate predictions, might masquerade as something else. And then its true identity comes out. Sometimes it's right up front, I am Zozo. And people wonder who or what Zozo is. So uh, after researching this phenomenon for quite some time, and I've researched Zozo myself. Darren and I started collaborating on a book, which will be out this summer, called The Zozo Phenomenon. And it, it really is quite amazing beyond Darren's story. And, um, you know, I won't give away a lot of the details um, in advance of the book, but I can certainly talk a lot about Zozo. Uh, Darren has an amazing personal story to tell in terms of the kinds of things that happened to him. And then in addition, uh, both of us have, uh, done a lot of research on Zozo to uh, try and track down some some roots to to this phenomenon. You know, what is Zozo and who is Zozo? And uh, there is a lot of mystery behind this entity and why it chooses the Ouija board. Hmm. Okay, well, <clears throat> excuse me, having had the disadvantage, obviously, of not having read the book yet, as, as most people have not, certainly, uh, well, the, the question is... Yeah. It, it won't be out until June. Right, that's it. So I, I have a good excuse for not having read it. Uh, so, <laughs> well, the, Unless the, you time travel. <laughs> hey, Ben can do that, right? You see our Facebook page? Uh, but in any case, I'm wondering, Rosemary, uh, <clears throat> we often say, and, and I have to say, folks, you know, Rosemary, uh, Ben and I and Rosemary are great friends, known each other for years, uh, but we agree on two things. One, we're good friends. 
to it's Sunday. Okay, well, we don't generally, um, you know, see eye on a lot of things, but we respect one another's opinion, and we're both open-minded. I think we have a great relationship that way. So that being said, we always say, as you know, uh, Rosemary, that we that nothing in the paranormal, or at least very little, is what it appears to be. At least that's our experience. So if if you can get into a little bit about what <clears throat> a question such as, is every manifestation of this entity, Zozo, really the same entity? Uh, well, that uh, it, it's an interesting thing to to try and plumb the depths of because there are some common traits to a lot of these experiences, what I would call hallmark characteristics, uh, repetitive kinds of behavior. But then we have um, this Zozo entity seemingly manifesting under other names with similar characteristics like Zaza, Z, uh, Zo, uh, and even uh, the unlikely name of Mama. Uh, and uh, Darren started calling these the Z entities or the Zenities uh, because uh, of these alter egos, uh, all exhibiting the same characteristic. And we've uh, even had some people speculate uh, when we've done shows on Zozo uh, that Zozo really isn't a single entity but perhaps a collective or a group of entities that... Uh, have um, you know some similar purpose in uh, pestering people, <clears throat> and there are classes of pestering entities. Um, yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, well, just a, you know a lot of kind of trickster entities uh, that pull low-level pol- poltergeist stuff. Um, they will often mani- manifest in all kinds of uh, spirit communications, even in paranormal investigation. Um, where uh, they'll lead somebody around in circles or uh, do riddles um, or, you know, just play tricks. But I have um, had many cases where uh, people have had serious problems with some kind of nasty entity who starts out uh, being very engaging and um, there are characteristic patterns to uh, the, the people's behavior as well, that they get pulled in to what becomes an obsessive, um, uh, all-consuming interest with communicating with this entity. Mm. And they're entertained. Uh, maybe even it uh, reinforces some of their fantasies. And then there's a uh, either a marked turn or a gradual turn, uh, which things start to deteriorate and the entity starts becoming meaner, nastier, a darker disposition, even threatening. Uh, if a person is vulnerable to being attached, and this, um, this is entirely unique to different cases, then uh, if, the, if the link between the entity and the person has gotten strong enough through repetitive communications, then in some cases uh, these entities can make uh, bridge that leap to a personal ta- attachment, and then even if the the tool is thrown away or destroyed, or the person uh, stops that sort of uh, of activity, the entity has become attached to the individual, and then they have a whole new set of problems. Yeah, actually, so, I've, I've um, seen that myself. Yeah, yeah, uh, in in many cases, and uh, you know, over and over again, I've. Um, my position is the tool itself cannot be blamed. Uh, it's, um, it's what the individual brings to the situation. And some people have very vulnerable boundaries without even being aware of it. Uh, and they jump into spirit communications and uh, they, they don't realize how, I guess, open they are to some sort of attachment. And uh, then they have problems. Other people have um, openings. They provide openings through various ways. And so the tool itself, even though I've uh, had people over and over again blame, blame the Ouija board, the Ouija board, the board, the board, it's not. It's a neutral tool. And um, if you get into the dynamics of every single case as much as you can in terms of how did it, how did it start, how did it go wrong, and what went wrong, um, it, it can be traced back to uh, things going on with, with the individual. So um, uh, I think that uh, some things that are overused in the wrong way, and the board certainly is, it's heavily overused in the wrong ways, 
And uh, now, unfortunately, we have collective mindsets thanks to uh, the media and uh, people who, you know, get on social media and make misinformed, uneducated statements about uh, board communication that further reinforce the idea that it's a dangerous thing to play with um, when, in fact, it's uh, as neutral as, a, as any other tool. And these sorts of anxieties then can uh, get implanted in people, even unconsciously, and go into the subconscious so that even if you think you're approaching communications with a neutral mindset, you might have operating in the background of your consciousness some anxieties, fears, or worries that things are going to go haywire. And if those anxieties are present, you can almost guarantee that if you're at it long enough, at some point things will go haywire. Well, it's very interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. Very interesting that um, I, you mentioned social media, Rosemary, because uh, on my personal Facebook page, as well as on the show Facebook page, we put the promos for our shows. And obviously, we, we were talking about you being with us today. And uh, I, I've rarely seen this an, an exchange on my personal page between the guest and a couple of listeners. And uh, you made the point that you essentially made just now, um, and I. I well, if you hadn't brought it up, I would have. But uh, as you know, we are very much uh, against anybody using a Ouija board. Um, the, three of the ten exorcisms I was involved with as a seminary student, in the sense of assisting the priest, uh, started with kids, quote-unquote, innocently using Ouija boards. I, I Personally, I mean, I certainly uh, compare it with, um, you know, you, you stand, it's, you know, the highway is in itself not, a threat unless you're standing in the middle of it with the cars whipping by. Maybe you'll get hit, maybe you won't. Um, perhaps our experiences over the years have been different with people using Ouija boards, but our, our personal opinions uh, embrace the idea that, that people should not do this. I, I, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Uh, I have always compared it with uh, you're trying to meet somebody, and you, instead of being out there, being aware, like in your yard, uh, trying to meet a neighbor and waiting for the neighbor to come out and saying hello, you take a bulldozer and you knock down their front wall. To me, that's what Ouija boards and seances do. Where am I wrong? <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I don't think you are wrong, and I think that there are many complicated facets uh, to these kinds of communications. So there's the, the thing is that people, a lot of people are looking for black and white answers. Absolutely, yep. black and white answers. Um, and I, too, also recommend to people that um, they, they not use the board in many cases. I consider the board a neutral tool, the ghost box neutral, meters, seances, automatic writing, channeling. Uh, the fundamental tool, uh, and you, you can go back throughout human history and in magical tools and all kinds of other ways that human beings have wanted facilitated access to the spirit world, um, that's what they are. They're bridges. They're facilitators. And then what happens to you after you make that connection is not up to the tool. Um, oh, no, I see what you mean there. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the tool, strictly speaking, the object is just the object. Right. Yeah. Um, people do have a lot of freaky experiences with the board, and I think it's because of what they're bringing to the board and, and also uh, how it's being used. And the fact that it is so readily accessible to people who, uh, are playing. They're not really doing research. Uh, they're not well grounded in the uh, spirit world. They're playing. They're they're being entertained. So my basic recommendation is that uh, Ouija boards not be used in paranormal investigation. Um, that uh, if you are uh, attempting to uh, make contact with the spirit world, world, there are probably better uh, methods and tools to try. But it's not because of the tool. It's because of um, the uh, perceptions about the tool. And, you know, what I was just saying, that people freak out. People have the anxieties, the worries, the fears. In a paranormal investigation, if you bring out a Ouija board, half the room will freak out. Some of them will leave, some of them will freak out, uh, and those who remain will sit there in abject fear that some demon is going to come across the board and jump out and possess them. That's not the way to start any sort of, of spirit communication uh, research or session. Whereas people don't have those prejudices and biases with a lot of other tools. So the very fact that a collective societal bias has uh, built up as 
really a thought form energy against this particular means of communication makes it very unsuitable for a lot of situations and for many people. So I think that's where the real problem is. And so I entirely agree with you that in many cases it absolutely should not be used. Uh, before, and yeah, I will tell Ben's got a question. That. I tell them the same thing about the black mirrors yeah. because I teach a lot of black mirror workshops. And it's a wonderful, powerful tool that can uh, facilitate amazing experiences for people. But if you're going to sit down in front of a black mirror, uh, in fear that a demon's going to come through the mirror, then you should absolutely not use it. The problem's with you, not the tool. Well, the problem could be subconscious with you as well. But uh, Ben's got a yes. question, but I, w- I wanted to just, uh, before you, uh, we, we proceed any further, he's getting frustrated here, uh, <laughs> w- can you describe, for those who don't know, especially we're in a new time slot here, what is Ouija board and, and essentially how does it work in, you know, briefly? Um, generically, they're called talking boards or spirit boards. It's a board with uh, letters of the alphabet and numbers um, and hello, goodbye, yes and no on them. Uh, and you put your fingers on a pointer, a little plastic, uh, it's called a planchette, a little pointer, and ask uh, the spirit world to communicate with you through uh, po- uh, spelling out letters and, and messages on the board by pointing to a particular letter or number or word. And uh, so skeptics, of course, automatically dismiss this as, um, you know, the, you're mo- subconsciously uh, moving the, the point of yourself, even though you think you aren't. Uh, and uh, a lot of people get absolutely no results uh, on, uh, on the board. And some people have had very interesting, uh, even uh, beneficial experiences. And uh, other people, um, you know, get the negative experiences. It's uh, it's probably the most widely used spirit communication tool because you can walk into almost any toy store and buy one. And it's <laughs> not a toy out of any yeah. satanic, nefarious, evil, demonic purpose. It's a toy because the IRS considers it a toy. And that ruling... Well, one, one could make some comments about the nature of the IRS, actually. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> that ruling was made in the 1920s by the Supreme Court. That's true, yeah. So... Um, People seem to want to attach all kinds of negative uh, significance to it. And then when you have films like Witchboard and Paranormal Activity and uh, The Exorcist, uh, Witchboard probably did more to damage the Ouija board than all of those other films combined. Um, then that reinforces the idea that anytime you use it, something bad is going to happen. And this is a collective thought form that many people have, and subconsciously a lot of individuals cannot get past it. Okay, well, Ben's got a question. All right. So, this is going to be a culmination of everything we've just talked about. So, it is a neutral tool. We've, we've, all, we've all said this. We have many other neutral tools, which brings up the question, if it is indeed what we bring to the tool that creates the problem, should there be communication with spirits, quote-unquote, at all? Uh, yes, a lot of people have debated that, Ben, and... Um I personally, I favor research uh, into spirit communication, even though, bottom line, uh, we have very little way of knowing what, who or what we're contacting, even proving it. We have to take a lot of communications at, uh, you know, uh, face value. But uh, human beings have uh, had this, uh, this push to uh, uh, go through the veil and, and communicate with the dead and spirits all throughout history, and I think that um, fundamentally there's a lot of benefit to it, but it does require um, a particular perspective and a great deal of grounding for it. Not all people are suited for it, Um, and people have different boundaries and thresholds in terms of what will destabilize them. Um, Work in the paranormal, work with the spirit realm, just in general, is very destabilizing unless you are very well grounded. And um, many individuals, um, it doesn't take much to uh, to rattle them, and other people have uh, a lot more that, that they can handle. So I think my perspective is that it's instructive to pursue this research and keep pushing out uh, the boundaries and developing different methods and tools for communication in an attempt to uh, expand our understanding of uh, a multidimensional uh, reality 
uh, of a quantum reality that embraces both physical and paraphysical experiences and our connection to all of these other realms in terms of a bigger picture. And um, uh, many people approach spirit communications for personal reasons. You know, in ancient times it was prophecy and, uh, you know, getting instructions from the gods. Uh, and people want personal information, but there's a bigger picture to it, uh, to it beyond that. So um, I don't like to see spirit communications pursued for, for trivial purposes, uh, as uh, for entertainment and sort of a, hey, we got a ghost here kind of thing. Uh, I think that uh, it should be pursued from a perspective of, uh, of learning something, of, of expanding human knowledge and awareness, and, and enlightenment, and that can be done in um, in research settings in the home. People pursue instrumental trans communication. It can be done in paranormal investigation, although in many cases it gets it does get turned into entertainment. And unfortunately, uh, science has shied away from this, even in mediumistic communications. Uh, it's uh, it's difficult for serious scientists to pursue this kind of research. So um, I guess that's a long answer to your question. Well, no, not necessarily. We, we just uh, <clears throat> are coming up on a break, but I wanted to just int- introduce an idea. Uh, and Rosemary, you, you know how we think. We're a little we're a little off the beaten path when it comes to most people who work in this field. And that's um, we we, uh, we use different terms. But you you mentioned the uh, the magic word, the sort of multi-dimensional or, or multi-world uh, kind of point of view, because it's the, Strictly speaking, from physics, it's not quite the same thing, but you get the idea. One of the problems we have um, that we're going to discuss after the break is um, what we're listening to and uh, if it's really what it says it is. I think that's a real problem. So anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful and snowy Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Stick with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando reminding you that my show is on Owen every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You forget about me. What about you? Virginia Brando, your co-host. You and I are going to have a talk. Again? Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our fascinating guest, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and we are talking about... Ouija boards, what do they mean, what happens with them, and... And who the hey is Zozo. Yes, exactly. So I want to start off this portion of the uh, the show with a question about a point you, you made, uh, Rosemary. And um, you said... I agree. I, I agree with what what you say. You have, we have to pursue knowledge in any any way, shape, or form to get a better understanding of what we're dealing with. But you mentioned something uh, about about spirit communication, which is... We have to take things at face value, not because we we can't really verify things, but how can you derive truth about the other side, quote unquote, or interdimensional creatures if you have to take things at face value without any sort of verification? Well, unfortunately, uh, Ben, we do have. Uh, w- what I mean by we have to take things at fa- face value is that frequently communications are not long enough or deep enough to provide enough information to try and validate in any significant way. And uh, that's where a lot of the problem lies. Uh, And in mediumistic communications, then you have the argument from skeptics that uh, the medium being the primary filter is manipulating things somehow, perhaps out of what they can access through um, the, I think, the the theory that gets stretched to ridiculous length, supersize. Uh, or some, some other way. So there are all kinds of landmines in the field of spirit communications, and I run up against them myself. Uh, and it also is well known in occultism that many spirits will, will masquerade, and they're very capable of doing that. Uh, so uh, I think that where, where we're currently at with uh, the state of the art, so to speak, uh, which is has advanced but uh, still is, I think, in rather primitive form, um, that we still have to collect as much data as we can and validate it and verify it to the best of our ability and uh, keep pushing 
uh, with developing better means of communication, even through technology, that at some point may give us those breakthroughs where we can get into a, a whole new level of, of validating things. And, uh, for example, let's take communication with uh, the afterlife. Um, we have uh, lots of um, messages uh, delivered uh, by the so-called dead, uh, and I say, you know, apparently it's those personalities, and people will verify that, uh, yes, this must be so-and-so because, uh, they've relayed such and such an information. Well, bottom line, do we really know that it's so-and-so, or could it be something else? And uh, uh, we may, it may be a long time, if ever, before we can, we can make those kinds of definitive statements. So we have evidence in support of something. We run into that in reincarnation, too. Tens of thousands and thousands of cases compiled, even by uh, some scientists who have pursued uh, study of the field, uh, of uh, cases of uh, spontaneous past life recall and very detailed past life recall that boggle the mind. You would have to say, how on earth could this be anything else but past life recall? And yet, it's no proof. Uh, science would reject it uh, out of hand. It's evidence in support of. We have the same thing in, um, I'm involved with this now in the UFO field, in my work with for the Foundation for Research into um, Extraterrestrial Encounters. Yeah, we're involved with that, too. Um, a wonderful research uh, program that's yes. being pursued. Um, and uh, uh, what it's really pointing to is that uh, we have to realign our thinking about a lot of these experiences because we have paraphysical experiences that we then want physical evidence for. And there's a very tenuous, bridge between the two, if any bridge at all, and uh, I think we're going to have to start regarding our paraphysical experiences as a part of a larger reality, all of which has, has a validity. In many of these cases, it's going to be, an, uh, with spirit communication, it's going to be an individual truth, and this is what, what's happened, I think, in the field of ITC, is that individual researchers have found their um, their own truth, so to speak, in terms of how they're pursuing the research and the results they're getting um, that may not be shared by other researchers who might approach the research differently. And we're dealing with, um, uh, with realities, probably multiple realities, that don't operate on the same terms as our physical reality. So how are we going to apply the rules of the apple to the orange? Uh, and that's that's the problem that this whole field has faced from the get-go. Sure. But we but we need to keep pursuing the research anyway, if if nothing more than to accumulate uh, evidence that falls into uh, patterns uh, that uh, seem to be uh, at least fairly predictable. Oh, uh, Rosemary, I wanted to uh, before we burn up the hour, I wanted to stop here and give you a chance to talk about your website, uh, these books that are coming up, and where people can find out more about you. My main website is visionaryliving.com, and the Zozo Phenomenon with Darren Evans, that will be coming out uh, this summer, early summer in June. Um, the uh, Demon Haunted book, uh, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault, uh, will be out later in the summer in August. And uh, then I have uh, some other projects uh, coming up uh, later in the year, um, a paranormal haunting book on Willow Creek Farm out in Illinois with Al Kelchner. Hmm. And um, I've got this um, ET UFO research that I'm pursuing, too. Uh, I continue to, to research the gin, and um, I, I may do a third book on, on them as well. I've collected a great deal of material, especially involved in uh, their paranormal activities and uh, with the ET arena as well. Yeah, we've done so, shows on that. Yeah. in the fire. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, we have a couple of – I wanted to stop to do a couple of uh, – Inquiries from listeners here <clears throat> for, for you, Rosemary. Uh, this is um, from Murtaza. No idea where Murtaza is from, but Ben, if you would do the honors. Well, it's a fun name, so <laughs> Murtaza writes to us. Uh, do you think that Zozo may be attracted to people with a letter Z in their name or similar sounding names? Rosemary, I heard you say in one of your interviews that Zozo is also known as Zaza, uh, but only if uh, it's at the start of uh, the name, I think. Anyway... 
either uh, either way, my name has a letter Z and ends with a ZA. Do you think this might have some significance in the Zozo being attracted to me if I called him through the Ouija board? Oh, Which, by the way, I am too scared to do at this moment. <laughs> well, if, if you're scared of the Ouija board, I would I would recommend staying away from anything that uh, frightens or unsettles a person, regardless of what the tool is. And um, I haven't noticed any patterns in uh, among the experiencers of people with Z's in their name being more prone to encounters with Zozo. Zozo seems to like to use the Z a lot, uh, and um, it, it doesn't seem to apply to people on, on the other end. So um, I think you're safe there, And uh, but uh, do stay away from any form of spirit communication that you have any reservations, doubts, uncertainties, or anxieties about, because all of those will feed into the experience and will become magnified. Okay. Uh, there, there are several others, but they really come from the discussion that, that is taking place on, uh, I guess it's ongoing, on my personal Facebook page, just Paul Eno. And a little bit down there is the promo for the show, and uh, several folks uh, were in a, in a conversation, I guess, right now with Rosemary. I encourage you to continue that, Rosemary, as you have time. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have you um, uh, present on the Facebook page there and uh, talking with listeners. Um, so uh, to do that, we wanted to just tell you that and move on to some of our own questions because the time is, is running out here. You you, um, you mentioned something that is really very important to us, Rosemary, and that that is the the idea that uh, paranormal phenomena do not take place in isolation. It's uh, over the years uh, coming up, especially working on cases. Uh, you know, as you know, too, you go in and people, especially people of older generations, just want you to come in and fix it. Uh, whereas in, in reality, the, the, they, whoever is experiencing the phenomenon is participating in it and perhaps even fueling it. And I think that's, that's an important thing to realize. Uh, with the Ouija board, I, you know, we, I don't think we still agree, but we certainly agree on the idea that what you bring to it is very important. And uh, that's true of anything in life. What you bring to any experience is important. So um, as far as the connection is concerned, uh, have you found other, in, in cases that result from problem Ouija board use, in your experience, do you find other factors beyond the Ouija board, the entity if there is one, and the participant? And what I'm really getting into here is location, presence of electromagnetic fields, geotechnic factors, that sort of thing. Uh, does, is there a broader problem uh, area sort of thing that, that can create issues uh, as, as well as the participant and the Ouija board. Yes, there is, and that's what makes these cases so complicated. And uh, and I'm sure you get it too, Paul, that uh, people call, they write, they want simple solutions, tell me what to do, uh, I'm having this problem, tell me what to do. And there's no Band-Aid fix because you have to look at uh, a variety of complex uh, factors that are feeding a situation. And what I found is that uh, in a, let, let's say there's an afflicted household with a lot of negative activity going in it and multiple people are experiencing things, there's usually a single person who gets the brunt of it or is the focal point of it. And that person uh, may have um, things going, they may, there may be emotional upsets going on, they may have uh, very thin uh, boundaries for a variety of health reasons or perhaps even psychological conditions like chronic depression or uh, post-traumatic stress. Um, there could be earth energy involved, uh, spirits who are attached to the land and are able to become energized enough to manifest. Um, there could be... Um, if there's trouble in a household between uh, in relationships, that can provide a lot of um, energy that uh, spirits can use if they're present. Uh, people who've had alcohol or drug problems uh, have, often have auras that look like Swiss cheese. They've got just lots of holes in it, and if something is opportunistic and is able to get through those holes, they will. And then... Uh, a lot of it depends on what sort of involvement they've had with the spirit realm. And sometimes it's no overt involvement. There are other factors going on. But uh, I've always called human consciousness the wild card that um, has to be taken into account in any of these situations because there's, there's no formula that you can apply 
uh, to every single case with reliable remedies in every single case. Different types of entities, too, are, are involved. And uh, a lot of times people do not want to consider themselves part of the problem, but you're absolutely right, uh, which, you know, physics would back that up. We're not observers. We participate in all of our experiences. And in some cases, uh, we're projecting something, maybe even unwittingly, that's a major contributor to what's going on. So um, the end of, you have to turn the mirror back on yourself, and a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to take responsibility. Uh, they don't like the idea that they may that they are part of the problem. Um, they've projected it into an external sort of situation in which they feel that they are the victim, not part of the cause. Yes. So then it becomes very complicated for uh, people to try and come in and remedy something. Well, you brought up, I'm glad you brought up the UFO um, aspect of the, the paranormal, Rosemary, because uh, as you know, we, <clears throat> we sort of specialize lately, at least, <clears throat> excuse me, at least in the last 10 years, in um, looking at flap areas, you know, seemingly, un- and you live in one, as a matter of fact, of course, uh, where you have all sorts of um, unrelenting paranormal activity uh, in areas that, in, in, of, of kinds that do not seem to be related. In other words, ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, this kind of thing. And we, we believe they are related. So this gets into the notion of uh, something that, that we tend to, to favor, which is uh, people's, the labels we put on things, even Zozo or whatever, uh, parasites as we might call them, uh, depend on the context in which the experience takes place. Um, in other words, if you are using a Ouija board and something goes floating by, aha, a ghost or Zozo or something like this, but if you're outside and there's a disc overhead or something or some kind of huge orb, aha, an alien or, or a UFO experience, do you think that many of these experiences, uh, particularly when they are not nuts and bolts, uh, blend or uh, the, our, our own perception is so limited that we put these labels that, that really might not be good enough? Um, and that many of the alien exp- oh, for example, the, the Bridgeport House in 1974, um, the, the, those the impression I got of those four entities was alien, not human. You know, alien and in, in a broad sense. And uh, had there been a UFO over the house, aha, would have been a you know close encounter of the third kind. I mean, what say you on all this? I mean, uh, are, are we limiting our understanding by limiting our terminology and our uh, experience of the context? Oh, we certainly do, uh, and I think, you know, for the most part, we put labels on things to the best of our abilities to describe things and understand them, uh, but the labels themselves can be very, very limiting, especially because of the, uh, I would say, the amorphous nature of a lot of the things we encounter, That and it's, it's often very subjective in terms of how the percipient is able to perceive something and define it. We mm. have to in order to even perceive something, we have to be able to put it into some kind of meaningful context. So if you look at human encounters with beings and extraordinary situations and phenomena over history, mm-hmm. uh, there are uh, very general patterns of common, uh, common characteristics and then um, many, many different kinds of labels to describe either the same thing or aspects of the same thing. And um, this is uh, why I think the research being done by the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters is so important because we're looking at the big picture. We're not pigeonholing people as ET experiencers, NDE experiencers, OBE experiencers. We're trying to look at how people have a broad spectrum of experiences. And um, what, the, what the preliminary data is showing, uh, which uh, was released uh, just this month, is that um, people um, have all kinds of experiences, and often from an early age, that you could almost say this is a norm, not the abnorm, uh, not the abnormal or unusual, it is the norm, to have some kind of, of um, contact with, um, paraphysical phenomena or beings or types of experiences that are beyond physical reality. And my personal belief is that this, uh, I call it 
both the interdimensional Earth and the transreality Earth, uh, that this is uh, the reality that we're moving into because uh, our experiences are changing consciousness and it's, hap- it's uh, happening on a collective level uh, and that at some point we will be in a very different reality than, than we're in now where these, um, these encounters are not so unusual. But especially in the UFO field, and this, this is what I see a lot, is that there are certain individuals who seem to be, they've got a different antenna, um, and they're attuned to see things and experience things that other people around them are not. And it uh, by no means doesn't mean their experiences are not happening. They are. Uh, it's just that other people just aren't quite on that same wavelength. And it's the wavelengths, I think, that are shifting in our ability to, to tune into them. That's, um, you know, that's and, interesting. Uh, We've been... Uh, <clears throat> Pointing to this you know, you year. mentioned that uh, the Hudson Valley, for example, I'm not very far from the Hudson mm. Valley, which is still very, very active. You drive up and down the Taconic, and, um, you know, it's still a hotbed of, of activity. And some people will have a lot of it, and other people will drive up and down the Taconic and experience nothing at all. But it doesn't mean the stuff isn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these are the kinds of things that we're grappling with and how does science come around to it. And... Um, I think that, uh, you know, the quantum hologram, uh, the quantum reality that embraces both physical and paraphysical, uh, that's the direction that we're going to be seeing things go in. Yeah, I certainly agree, because what, what direction will it take us? One thing you mentioned uh, I really picked up on, because I had wanted to ask you about it, Rosemary, was the, the, the notion of the thought form. <clears throat> okay, that's... Uh, Something I think that's very interesting that that might enter into a lot of these uh, these things. Um, the the uh, w- how would you define thought form, or or is is it the same thing as a tulpa? We've talked about tulpas, uh, actually, uh, beings or objects created through sheer spiritual and mental discipline, consciously or unconsciously, and some spiritualities use the, that as an exercise. Could the zozo phenomenon, getting back to that, be uh, something that is uh, literally created by the percipient? at least to some degree. It certainly could be, and I think that that's an aspect to the phenomenon, but it doesn't explain the whole phenomenon. In fact, yeah. I, with a lot of this stuff, I think we have to look at uh, multiple things going on that are contributors to the phenomenon itself. So let's say that um, there is a zozo, and or a collective zozo, uh, and if enough people have experiences with this entity, then they are going to feed into a thought form, a collective pool of beliefs, thoughts, and feelings, and especially feelings and emotions, uh, which would reside, you know, heavily on the fear side because uh, this is a negative kind of experience that then contribute to more Zozo experiences, and so uh, it becomes um, a force in motion. Uh, that's a huge ball of uh, different things driving this force. It's a human projection, uh, which um, helps to, to build up this thought form of this entity so that uh, it empowers it to perhaps even have more experiences. That and makes it could sense be an to me. entity in its own right. Yep. Uh, it's masquerading uh, in, in different sorts of ways. And um, so here again, we're, we're back to this, this, what's the bottom line? And human beings look for a black and white definitive answer. And in these, in these areas, it's very hard to be definitive. No, I, I, I agree with that statement entirely. I think, I think there's a very strange dilemma we have in our age right now where is we're not entirely sure what sort of discipline to follow. We have so many different disciplines that we can look at. We can have many different variations of a scientific discipline, a religious discipline, a spiritual discipline. But they all seem to be not quite hitting the mark. They're all getting around it, and they're almost all almost there, except there's not really one unifying thing that brings it all together. Like, I think science has its place. I, I agree that it has benefited us in many different ways. I mean, we all have smartphones now. We all have Internet in all of our homes, and it is a good thing. But I think that trying to talk talk about these things is hard because what we're doing, we're asking philosophical questions, 
and we're approaching this as philosophers rather than scientists. Research is good, and I agree with all of that, but it's more of a philosophical dilemma that we're dealing with rather than a scientific one. Well, I think, and maybe Rosemary will agree with this, that, that we're, we're dealing with, um, we have questions that have to be answered, and scientific disciplines are created, and religions are created, and the paranormal research is created to answer questions. But are the questions correct? You can't get the right answer if you That's, ask the yeah. wrong questions. Yes. So everything is limited, and as I say, I think Rosemary will probably agree with this, by our own narrow epistemological paradigm, how we think we know what we know. Mm. Uh, that's why we assume aliens will have human motivation, something you're always calling the big names to, to task about on this show. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and um, not necessarily endearing yourself to some of them, but the, I think Rosemary, as I say, um, not to speak for her, but uh, I think we, we have uh, basic issues with how we think we know what we know and, and, and assumptions that we make, which is my main gripe in the paranormal. Rosemary, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Uh, well, I, I do agree with that, and uh, unfortunately, science is a god in our uh, current uh, society. Yes, and, with all due respect to it. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, to certain uh, respect, we have to pay attention to science. Me and, and uh, for, as far as I'm concerned in my work, um, I take, uh, I have assumptions and beliefs, and I take things on board that uh, science never would, but I'm dealing with people's experiences, and I'm trying to, uh, you know, research and figure out what our experiences are saying about reality and about the way we change and about uh, the impact on consciousness, uh, which does get into a lot of philosophical areas, and um, uh, these have been very much far apart in the past. I, I see, you know, we've got uh, bridges forming uh, that are very helpful, and we certainly have a lot of very respected scientists interested in pursuing these questions of, uh, of consciousness very in true. relation yeah. to the phenomena that we experience, you know, that they're not dismissing phenomena as imagination and fantasy, but trying to explain it within uh, some sort of paradigm. Yes. And, um, you know, we, I don't think we have a very good mechanism in place right now, which is a dilemma for people who are experiencers. Uh, because uh, if you have a profound uh, experience of some sort and your religion doesn't support it and science doesn't support it, what are you going to do with it? Well, on that note, we wanted to mention, because we're almost out of time here, I wanted to mention the uh, the translation of the passing of, of someone uh, that uh, whom we all know, uh, Rosemary especially, being involved with the uh, Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Experiences, uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, uh, who passed on Thursday, uh, Apollo 14, uh, sixth man to walk on the moon, pioneer of scientific approaches to the paranormal and extraterrestrial experiences. We, he w has been on our show. Unfortunately, we never, we never met him, but, uh, certainly a loss to the scientific and even paranormal communities, wouldn't you say? I would. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Dr. Mitchell a number of times. I interviewed him, uh, for articles and, um, uh, he, you know, he, here's an individual who was just way ahead of his time uh, because uh, he appreciated the science and IONS, the Institute for Noetics, uh, of Noetic Sciences that he founded, uh, has a lot of scientists uh, working for it to uh, research all of these areas. But he also um, did a, a lot to advance uh, the understanding of consciousness. And uh, that's something that science has as a whole, tended to dismiss, um, it's hard for science to grapple with, with the nature of consciousness. And I'm afraid we'll have to end it there, Rosemary. We're up against the Boston Celtics game at 1 o'clock. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. We'll be in touch off the air. It's always great to have you. Oh. Okay. Well, there we are. Okay. So uh, we'll go right to our announcements, folks. Uh, our first public appearance of the 2016 season will be this coming Saturday. February 13th, 1 to 4 p.m. at the Book Lovers and Local Authors Expo at the Cumberland Public Library in Diamond Hill Road, Cumberland, Rhode Island, uh, here in our local listening area. There will be no presentation, but there will be a meet and greet, and books will be for sale. All right, on April 8th and 9th, uh, we will once again speak at the New England Parafest at the Ashworth-by-the-Sea in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, uh, where are the, uh, or, well, we are the final speakers uh, of the evening, and they are, or they have our subject as, um, 
the truth behind the paranormal, and we'll be talking about the deal with parasites. Yeah, among other things. Yes. Uh, it's a little early yet, but on July 23rd and 24th, we'll be at the Connecticut Paranormal Convention in Windsor Locks. We will present on Saturday, and on Sunday, we will host the weekly edition of this show with a panel of all the speakers before a live audience. That's, a, that's one of the reasons we moved to this slot, so we could do stuff like that. All right, so you can find out more about our show and our uh, public appearances at BehindTheParanormal.com, one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. Also at our site, you'll find over 650 free recorded shows on both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, you can find my books on, behi- on uh, yeah, well, of course, BehindTheParanormal.com, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle and all those usual suspects, but if you buy them directly at the site Ben just mentioned, uh, BehindTheParanormal.com online, uh, I will sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those recorded shows free. Uh, also on our websites, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and Help for Haiti. Uh, it seems uh, Marie... Uh, or. Uh Mrs. Guiley over there, Miss Guiley, uh, got kicked off by accident. <laughs> oh, dear. So, so we, did, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye. <laughs> yes. Well, well, thank you again, Rosemary. Rosemary, uh, I should say. We God. will be uh, in touch off the air as we have some dealings going on. And uh, we'll have you back on the air soon. Yes. Okay. Hope, hopefully well, she Always a great show. With, oh, with, you're there. Uh, okay. And, yes. Uh, always a lively discussion. I really enjoy it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Rosemary. Okay, very good. So uh, those are our charities. And, uh, of course, several books of interest to our listeners here uh, that we would uh, you can find on our sites published by um, uh, the uh, Global Communications, which is the publishing house of Timothy Green Beckley, a good friend of this radio station over the years, and to our old friend Joe Ferrier uh, from ON 1240, a 50-year talk show host and UFO expert as well. So... Um, Let's see what else. Oh yes, uh, so, so next, our, yes, next, week, next Sunday, February fourteenth, we will bring you a show that has absolutely nothing to do with Valentine's Day, and we welcome back Dr. Bruce Maccabee for a discussion of the UFO and FBI connection. And we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from American stock car racer Dustin Ash: Anything can happen in this world. It is a crazy place, but as long as we have each other, we can overcome anything life throws at us. Just have to believe in ourselves and keep moving forward. I'm Paul Eno, and I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.